Well, welcome to the Know My Faith Monday podcast, and our guest this week is Yaakov Brown. Now, how do I describe you? Is rabbi the right word? Pastor the right word? Yaakov is good. I Yaakov. like Yaakov. Yeah. Okay. I, I, um, I think, think titles are one of the biggest problems we have as believers. Let's just use each other's names, brother. Yeah, I had uh, I had at a conference once uh, a pastor was talking from the front and he talked about uh, and I'll I'll just make up the name uh, Angela, which wasn't her name, but he was talking about his wife Pastor Angela was out in the garden the other day. I'm going, you don't call her Pastor Angela when you uh, at the time. Pastor Angela, would you pass the salt, please? You know, it's just <laughs> we don't need. Maybe okay. maybe he was talking about Italian food. What that could be it. All right, let's go way back because. I don't know you as Yaakov. That's still difficult for me. You are Alistair Brown, the musician I met at Parachute back in 2004. You just got back from Canada. Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at my birth certificate and passport, you'll see a lot of names. <laughs> uh, the, the full name on both of them is Al Alistair Yaakov Ben Yehoshua Charles Brown. So, um, it's... You know, it's mix and match, spin around, point your finger and pick one. Yeah. But I um, I grew up using Alistair um, because, I mean, for the most part, my, my early upbringing was in the secular Kiwi world. And, um, you know, very few West Aucklanders would be able to pronounce and then remember Yaakov. And at that time, I wasn't really focusing on who I was as an ethnic person. So, right. yeah. So, do we do we change Brown into Bruning as well? <laughs> Have you been doing research on my family no, I just, line? No, I just I just remember because I mean, because you and I are friends on Facebook, and I remember you put up something. It was it a family Bible or a book that that had Bruning yeah. in it? So on one side it's Bruning, and on the other side it's Isweil. Okay, is the last name. So. Anyway, it's complicated, brother, but I go by Yaakov now predominantly because, uh, well, because the Lord challenged me uh, about my identity at, at a certain part of my journey. So, yes, you can call me whatever you like, okay. as my father says, just not late for dinner. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's go right back to when you're growing up. Uh, are you growing up in a, uh, did you know your Jewishness then? I mean, you no, I, I mean, I was. No, I didn't know. Um, my father never talked about us being Jewish. And what I did find out later on as I began to meet other, other Ashkenazim, diaspora Jews, is that actually a lot of Jewish parents have kept really quiet about who they are for whatever reason, usually perceived possible persecution and so on. Yeah. So I, I didn't grow up knowing a lot. I had an inkling that there was something a little different about the way my father did things and myself and my grandmother, um, but I didn't really know what it was. And I didn't really find out any of that stuff until I was about 14 years of age. So, yeah. Okay, so when had you come? So let's use Christianese at the moment. Yeah, okay. When had you come to the Lord? When had you made that Christian commitment? At what age? Okay, so this is the beautiful thing about how God does things. And thank you for the excellent question, Rob. Um, I did not meet Yeshua, the person, until I was about 14 years old. And 
I had been invited to this Christian youth camp during Easter in Matamata. And on the Friday evening of Easter, there was a guest speaker and unbeknownst to me, he is actually a Jewish believer, but I didn't know that at the time. Did he know that at the time? Did he know that at the time? Yeah, good question. Um, We'll get to that. So I was there and really I was there to check out the girls. I was 14 years of age. I just discovered I was a boy. What else else was Um, you there for? (laughs) So the camp was large. There's about between 1,500 and 2,000 youth there, and they had a huge marquee where the, the message was taught each night and so on. And like I said, I was 400, 500 metres outside the marquee checking out the girls. I wasn't listening to the meeting. But at the end of the meeting, the the man who was speaking just said, if, if you want to meet Jesus, um, I'm giving you an invitation to come forward and meet him. And this will sound a bit spooky and uh, maybe a little too Pentecostal for some and not Pentecostal enough for others. But I actually found myself at the front of the tent and I don't know how I got there, Rob. And I know that sounds really mysterious, but I can honestly tell you, I don't know how I moved uh, seven, 800 meters instantaneously and found myself. And I was at the front of this tent And Yeshua was standing in front of me and he said to me, return to your roots. And that's all he said to me. And then it proceeded. There were people there who came up and tried to give me a a sinner's prayer. You need to say this, all this sort of thing. What they didn't understand was that I had met him and everything they were saying was just kind of going past me. Yeah. And because in reality, that's the main thing. And that's, that's what so much, I remember sitting in a meeting uh, years ago when I worked in a nightclub and, and talking to my, it was actually my immediate boss. And he goes, he said, I used to be a Christian once. And I said, did you meet Jesus when you were a Christian? He goes, no. Voila. Voila. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it becomes meaningless when the conversation is about uh, nouns and proper nouns and titles. It's, it makes everything an object and we're not objects, we're subjects. And so I, when I met the person of Yeshua and he said these words to me, see, a lot of people, I relate that to them. They say to me, well, that wasn't a salvation experience. But when you listen to the language, Yeshua said to me, return to your roots. The word return in Uvoit, Teshuvah. So in English, we, we translate that repent. So it's really, it's, it's lost in translation yeah, and not yeah, just language, but culture. So was this, okay, so you, you grew up in a, in a Jewish family, not really. Well, a Messianic Jewish family, because my father is, a, is and was a believer. Oh, he was a believer then. And his Emma, his mom, yeah. was the first believer in our Jewish family. And she took the, all the boys to a Baptist church or something. <clears throat> I found out only last year, my father's giving his testimony in a Baptist church in West Auckland. And I went along to support him and listen. And he begins his testimony. I'd never heard it ever. He begins it by saying, when I was 14, I was at, I, I just you not. When I was 14, I was at a Bible camp and it was Easter. And on the Friday night, uh, no way. I met the person of Jesus. And I, I just about melted uh, in my chair. 
because I was actually hearing my own, uh, the beginning of my own spiritual journey, and it was oh. coming out of my father's. Tongue. So, so did you did you become uh, then a uh, messianic believer, or did did Alistair Brown become a Christian? Yeah, and look, it's a great question, and I think you've asked it so we can diffuse it. Yep. Because really, it's all about misusing terms. At that stage in my life, I didn't know Jewish from Shmuish. I didn't, I didn't know Messianic from Christian or anything else. Technically speaking, you know that Christian pretty much simply means Messiah follower. So, I mean, you and I will, having met Yeshua, will always be Messiah followers. But to my own people, the term Christian means a religious person born into the religion of Christianity uh, who may or may not um, venerate Mary, who may or may not have a cross in his house. Yeah. So as a religion, I've never been that kind of person. But in its most true meaning, yes. Um, so I returned back. The, the youth group that we'd come from was a Baptist church. I was immersed in Hebrew, we say Tevilah, in Christianese, we say yep. baptism, all of it's borrowed from Judaism, as you know. And so for the most part, yes, I probably would have called myself a Christian for much of that time, only for lack of understanding, because what I've come to understand, Rob, is that whilst our salvation through Messiah is a spiritual redemption, our ethnicity doesn't change. Um, and to say so is foolish because the same scriptures that tell us there's no difference, tell us there's no difference between men and women. Yeah. And I mean, I still have a schmeckle. I don't know about you. I didn't turn into an amoeba or, a, yeah. you know. Uh, you go back to that meeting at Parachute. What year was that? Was it 90? I honestly don't remember. I feel like it was more like late 90s than oh, 90s, yeah. or mid early 90s maybe and I uh, because I had met my wife and she's Canadian and I had traveled and she's got fam she's American dad Canadian mum yeah. we had traveled throughout the states and Canada and I'd done some performing um, as a musician in Seattle and Portland and various other places um, and it probably would have been mid mid 90s mid 90s yeah because yeah. uh, yeah. I, I i'm trying to remember if it was my first stint with radio rima or my second stint or and which parish sure. it was but so you'd just got back from canada and uh, yeah. one of the questions i asked you was uh are you a christian musician or or, or do, do you do you write christian songs and your answer yeah. was do you remember your answer I don't remember your answer, but I suspect it was arrogant. <laughs> it was bordering on it. It wasn't as bad as Stephen Bell Booth. Stephen Bell Booth has the worst answer ever. My first time interviewing Stephen Bell Booth. Yeah. And he just recorded that wonderful album that he did a lot of it in South Africa, did the Paul Simon bit with the Af African sure. musicians. And I was talking about that and I said, you, you must be pleased with that. And he goes, yes. Oh, excellent. That, that's dynamic. <laughs> Great, thanks. Uh, I asked you, uh, is your music Christian music? And you mm. said, I'm a Christian. I wrote it. Okay. And that's it was, actually pretty insightful yeah. for an went into a thing about, about plumbers. He says, you know, if, does a plumber have to put his pipes in the, in the form of a cross for it to be a Christian yeah. plumber? Um, yeah, yeah. And, and that is part of it. You are, in those days, you were saying, I identify as a Christian. My music mm. comes out of out of that yeah 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 
I like I do like that, Rob, but I do know that I also probably uh, wasn't as respectful as I should have been. And you, um, my recollection of you is that you've always been a gracious uh, guy. So uh, I apologize for my youth. <laughs> I've got to say one of the reasons why I uh, I wanted to interview Alistair as you were then was because, mm -hmm. uh, and you know this, and I've, I've actually put this video on my uh, YouTube channel, yeah. is there's a song called Robbing This Train, which is one of my all-time favorite songs. It is not one of my all-time favorite Christian songs. It is not one of my all-time favorite New Zealand Christian songs. It is one of my all-time favorite songs. And it, it's time. all about how Satan is coming along and stealing our youth and that's yeah. just getting worse and worse isn't it i mean we're getting off track but that's i mean that, that's that's obviously your heart it's my heart as well yes absolutely and that i i wrote that song about the death of two young children in south auckland at the time yeah yeah very emotional so let's go from the christian musician alistair brown to yeah. the messianic uh, yeshiva congregation leader yachov brown yeah, it's a big stretch. Yeah. I love your nomenclature. I love the language you're using. Thank you. Uh, I, so at around the age of about 25, the Lord reminded me of what he had first said to me. Return. Return to your roots. He also reminded me that I had either intentionally or unintentionally avoided doing that very thing. Why? Uh, part of the reason was I didn't, I wasn't pro offered any information. And because I was more interested in pursuing a music career, I didn't, I wasn't intentional about finding out who I was. Um, that's part of the reason. The other part of the reason is, I guess, I was living in a world where there was no advantage to, to being ethnic in any way unless you were culturally Māori or you had some Pacifica connection. Yeah. My, my friend Amir and I were the only two, we were the token Jews in an almost all Māori and Pacifica primary school in Ranui. Yeah. So, I mean, there wasn't any real advantage um, but what God, what God convicted me about was that regardless of situational things and advantage, he had asked me to do something and I hadn't done it. Yeah. So the challenge was so fierce that I just said, look, dad, you need to tell me about who we are. You know, you, by that time he had admitted, yes, we're, we're Jewish, yada, 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 but he had never been brought up in the traditions of Israel or anything. So, hang on, hang on, hang on. so, so you're growing up in a in a Jewish family, which you knew you were Jewish. Yeah. Your dad was a believer. So, what I'm hearing at the moment is he was. It's, excuse again the terminology. He was more Christian yeah. than Messianic. Yes, in, in in those terms that we use to define yeah. genres. Yeah. Yes, I mean, you know, you only have to meet my dad. You know, he he is the very definition of Jewish. You only have to meet him. But yes, in those terms, yes. And he would lead worship at a, a Baptist church right, on yeah. Sundays, 
which I would attend. I would listen to him leading these songs, Rob, like you, you will probably remember the songs of Joel Chernoff and others. And, and they were in the songs of praise books that used to float around New Zealand churches, yeah. evangelical churches. And my dad, for whatever reason, was the only worship leader who would pick these songs. And they were the least cool of all the songs. You know, this kind of thing. And I thought, Dad, seriously? I mean, there's a whole lot of cool songs. Why are you choosing these eclectic sounding songs? Well, 15 years later, when I'm first standing in the synagogue, afterwards they have something called a nosh like a, a collective meal together. And they're playing these tunes that my dad used to choose. And I'm saying, hang on a minute, this is a Jewish community. Why are they playing Christian songs? Yeah. Well, it turns out all these tunes that my dad would choose were all klezmer tunes from Middle Europe, from Ashkenazim. Did you, did you hear this slight chuckle from up in the clouds of God going, <laughs> I, I, you know, what I had was a powerful convergent moment Yeah. of, of God yeah. saying Got you. who you are is intrinsic. You can't separate it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We need to come to that because, and let's do it now. I'm not yeah. Jewish, right? I'm, 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 I'm a half caste. Uh, half of me is Pākehā. Uh, the other half is Pālangi, right? I'm, I'm white well, on this side. I'm white on this side. Yeah, good. Uh, there's, whatever there's, that means. Whatever that means. There's there's a disconnect in our minds uh, from two thousand years of Christianity or churchianity, yeah. and, and as you know, this is where this is what to know my faith. We want to look at the the cultural historic foundations of Christianity. We've yeah. removed ourselves so far, and yet you as a uh, and again I'll use the terminology as a messianic believer and follower of Yeshua HaMashiach, and I am a Gentile follower of Jesus Christ. Voila. Isn't that great? Yeah. Do I need to, if I'm going to look at the historical, cultural background of my faith, do I need to grab myself a yarmulke and a talit and hopefully not some scissors? Not, not only do you not need to, but to do it, and, and I know you're asking, you're setting me up for this. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I know, who, I know who you are, Rob. I'm speaking generally. Not only do you not need to, but to do it is called appropriation. So not only do you not need to, but it actually begins to prevent an opportunity for our people to come to faith when Gentiles pretend to be Jews and dishonestly misrepresent who they are to our people who need our own Jewish Messiah. So tzitzit, the tassels on the end of the garments, is commanded specifically to the ethnic people of Israel. So people who wear tzitzit need to be ethnically Jewish. This is what the Torah says. You know, so you're free to be who you are. You have a trouble. You know, you say white on both sides, and I know you're being humorous. The reality is you have a tribe. You, yeah. you come from an ethnic tribal people too. Maybe it's Scottish or Irish, I don't know. Or British, the Britons, whoever it is. Um, we all have tribes and our ethnicity is important. And I don't believe we should be appropriating things from one another. I think we should be validating one another in our uniqueness as a body 
so that we're not all hands because an all hands body is pretty useless. Yeah. Yeah. We, we kind of overbalance a little bit sometimes. There's a book that, uh, and I'll see if I can hold this up to the, to the camera. So, so you can see it is, uh, is why is it so difficult for Jews to believe in Jesus? Um, Paul tells us that, uh, as Gentiles, we're supposed to be provoking your people to jealousy. Yeah. Um, but we, I'm not going to do that by pretending I'm a Jew. Um, I wish, I wish all Gentile believers felt and thought as you do, Rob. Um, see, the problem is that if we try and answer that question, why is it so difficult for Jews to come to faith in Yeshua? My first answer to that will be so-called Messianic Gentiles. The biggest hurdle to Jewish evangelism today is Messianic Gentiles pretending to be Jews. Yep. I'll take that a step further. Um, I have friends in Israel who lead uh, Messianic congregations. Kahilot. Yep. Kahilot? Is that right? Kahilot? Kahilot. It's right. a plural, yeah. Kahilot. Um, they don't wear prayer shawls in general. They don't wear the skull cap. They wear nice sure. Western clothes even on Saturday morning when leading the service. And yet there are, in New Zealand, I have friends like yourself who lead Messiah congregations who do wear all of that. Sure. So why? Yeah, and that's a great question. Look, I, I think there are a number of reasons. Um, first of all, it, just to give my theological perspective, it it's neither wrong not to wear or to wear. It, it, clothing is clothing. <laughs> so let's not have an argument about whether or not a Jew has to wear tzitzit or not. Yep. That's foolish. What I see is, is a paradigm at work. Yildim, Jews living in Israel, Haaretz, in the land, are in a totally different situation to Jews living in the diaspora. In the land... You're Jewish. It wouldn't matter if you're in a bikini or swimming togs or in the synagogue with a kippah on. You're Jewish. You're in yeah. the land. You don't need to try and identify as a Jew. You're a Jew. You're in your own country. For us in the diaspora, if we want to make a distinction, sometimes we connect that way by wearing tzitzit, kippot, whatever. Yep. Now, I'm not talking generally in regard to religious observance. I just mean in regard to Jewish identity. And so for me, okay, don't wear it. That's fine. Or do wear it. That's fine too. What's important is that we're practicing freedom. And someone once said to me, oh, Yaakov, you're a lawkeeper. You're in bondage. And I said, why? Well, because you're wearing city yeah. and a kippah. I said, the scripture teaches me it's for freedom Messiah has set me free. Therefore, I should not come again under a yoke that is a false teaching of bondage. So I understand he set me free for freedom. If you're free not to wear, am I not also free to wear? Yeah. And, and when I go overseas, I wear a T-shirt with a silver fern so that everybody overseas knows I'm a Kiwi. Right. And you understand identity. I don't and, need and to wear it in Auckland. I don't need to wear exactly. it in Invercargill. No. So for me, that's... My perspective is this is part of me just saying I'm Jewish. You know, I don't have a muckle. 
I don't, you know, I don't have a tattoo like some other tribal groups would have, yep. but I have tzitzit. And if you want to talk to me, then you can talk to me as a Jew about Yeshua. And a lot of the Israelis who stay in our home, they'll say to me, Yaakov, um, Yaakov, we like your good religion. Because for them, they've seen religious Jews in one way, and then they see me, and they see freedom. And so I've never had to start a conversation about Yeshua. Every Jew who has stayed in our home has asked me first, Yaakov, who is Yeshua? Or Yaakov, why do you believe Yeshua? Yeah. How... How hard is it for you, or it may be easy nowadays, to, to keep that balance of, uh, on this side, keeping my Jewishness up there, yeah. Um, yeah. but not overbalancing into the legalism that is so easy to do so when you go down that road? Yeah. I love your questions, Rob. It says a lot about who you are. Um, it says a lot about 25 years of broadcasting. <laughs> Yeah, but I, al- I also hear the spiritual paradigm at work because the truth is that um, all believers are balancing between those two, two extremes. In, in my case, maybe there's some obvious outward signs of various things, but all believers struggle between law-keeping and freedom. And what, what I find most difficult is not, for myself, I don't find myself feeling like I have to don tefillin this morning. Mm. If I want to don tefillin, I will. But I nev- I've never been in a position where I feel like I have to. I-, I keep kosher, but I don't keep kosher because I have to. I keep kosher as an act of worship. So I don't struggle with the freedom. You know, who struggles with the freedom most is, again, Christians who have somehow concluded that Yeshua is not enough, Jesus is not enough, and feel like they have to keep rules. And they often come across my path and our community's path and are very quickly angered by the freedom that we teach. So my struggle is not so much with me being free. My struggle is with the number of people who, and the growing number of people who seem to be actively and intentionally pursuing bondage in law keeping. And what that does is as a shepherd of a community, I have a very difficult job protecting the weaker minded among us from that delusion. And, and ironically, it's not coming from Jews, Rob, it's coming from Gentile so-called Messianics who they come and they don't stay long because I say what I think. I, I don't mince my words because I'm fierce for the freedom that you and I have in Yeshua. I'm fierce for it. I think Zohar said it well in um, in our interview in our, um, our inaugural Know My Faith newspaper. Uh, right. And I asked him, I, I said, why is there this overbalance? And what he talked about was the, the because we've had basically two millennium of uh, millennia of separation between Judaism and modern Christianity. And he said, what happens in his mind is when, when people do discover that connection, they overbalance Yes, a little bit because, because there's been, you know, you go, wow, man, I haven't had cheesels for like 10 years. So next minute you're in hospital with cheesel overdose. Yes. Um, Yeah. I, I think that's a really poignant thing to say. 
Um, I think where the issue comes is not with the overbalance because that's inevitable. Where the issue comes is with regard to being teachable. And if you're gonna realize that, okay, this Jewish stuff is important, um, I need to investigate it, then please have the respect to respect the Jewish Yeshua followers who are teaching you. What actually happens is these people become so zealous for investigation that they consider themselves rabbis (laughs) when they should really be going to a rabbi and being teachable. We have a a saying in Prakea Vot in the Talmud that says, if you want to become a rabbi, find a student and become his pupil. Right. And this is, you know, this is what I think is lacking. I agree with Zohar. One of the things, I mean, let's go back to that word repent that you used when you were 14, you know, that God used when you were 14 years old. Uh, the, the Greek, because we, I mean, in the Western world, we're in a Greek mindset. The Greek okay. mindset for repent is change your mind. Okay. The Jewish understanding is change your actions based on you changing your mind. So there's the action involved in that. You can't just repent by going, oh, yeah, I don't think that's right. I mean, the, the, the number of times I repented of eating too much and not exercising, you know, sure, it's, sure, it's like, sure. you know, giving up smoking is really easy. I did it 20 times. But wow. you do the action, whereas the Jewish side always involves the action. That's why there's no, there's no discord between Paul and James. They're both saying the same thing. Yes. So, so when we, yeah. So when we discover that 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 the Jewish side is action, then we look at the law and we go, oh, I need to do some action. I, you know, the Sabbath is the most un- misunderstood. I think you know. So okay, if I go, and this is what Sharon and I have done. We go. We want to understand Shabbat. We want to sure. understand God's Sabbath. So sure. let us observe the sabbath so that eventually we can go oh that's why we do it not observe it because the ten commandments is you have to observe it yeah and look um that is that is the best way i've heard someone uh, who's not jewish talk about the shabbat because actually the ten commandments are followed followed by the qualifying commandment in exodus that says the Shabbat is a sign between me, that's God, and the ethnic religious people of Israel. So it is, in fact, the only commandment amongst the 10 that is not incumbent upon non-Jews. Yeah. So, so you're talking about freedom. With, with regard to, though, you talked about the Greek understanding versus the Hebrew understanding. The reality is that the Hebrew understanding is consciousness and action convergent. Uh, So it's more than just action. Before the Hellenization of the known world, Hebrew had no word for theology. It's a historical fact. We had no word in our language for theology until the Greeks Hellenized the known world. And that is because in the Hebrew faith, Consciousness and action are intrinsically linked, and you don't sit around positing thoughts about God. You act on the reality of relationship with God, and that's what you were describing. And I think it's important to understand that so that when we say Teshuvah, repent, it's the turning around. Shuvah means to turn, Teshuvah to return. And really, that applies to both the mind and the action. And the action. 
yeah. yeah, to turn your mind around and to turn your action around with it and not to separate the two. And that's, as you know, probably the greatest um, problem with Greco-Roman thinking and modern Western thinking is that we separate things into compartments, whereas uh, biblical Jewish thinking sees everything as distinct but not separate. What's what's the passage in the Bible or the section of the Bible that you find most frustrating that people just don't get it? Yeah, probably. You know what? I, I would like to speak to it uh, something that will apply to many passages in the Bible because I, you asked me this question and I tried to think, is there one particular that's more annoying than, than another? In fact, I, you know, I could talk all day about okay. passages pastors have misinterpreted. But one key thing that I think is worth addressing is the simple use of proper nouns. And in particular, the use of the proper noun Israel and the proper noun Yodim or Yuda. So Israel and Judah or Jews. In the scriptures, Israel is used as a proper noun for an individual and for a people. It is first and foremost always an ethnic noun. And yet so many Christian scholars spiritualize the term and use it figuratively. Yeah. Some, some well-meaning Messianic Gentiles use the language, I'm a spiritual Jew. Now let me help you understand why that's so wrong. It would be like me saying I'm a spiritual Maori. Yep. You see, you, you can't be a spiritual ethnicity unless you're also that ethnicity. So I think that one is a big one for me. If we can understand that properly, then we will actually interpret all of Rav Shaul, Hashaliach, the Paul yep. the Apostle's writings, precisely rightly, because we will say there is an ethnic term, Israel. It can't possibly apply to the church in general because yeah. it's an ethnic term. But then we come to the Israel of God, which is the, the, the term that's, that's sure. used to show that. And the Israel of God, again, if we apply that plain meaning in context and read the context of the passage, the Israel of God is speaking about the whole context of the passage. They're Jewish people. And the Israel of God are those Jews who have accepted Yeshua. So it's still not talking about Gentiles at all. Yeah. And this, you see how I don't come into error because I'm using the term correctly. And we have this method in rabbinic Judaism called Pades for interpretation. Peshat, Remez, Dresh, Sod. Peshat is plain meaning. Remez is a hint at a, an allegory. Drash is a comparative teaching. Sod is a mystery. All of the subsequent elements must submit to the plain meaning. If they do not, you are in error. It's look, it's just so important. Yeah, yeah. As um, Dr. Arnold Fuchtenbaum says, uh, if the plain sense makes sense, don't look for another sense. I love that. Well said, Rabbi. Uh, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure it was him. What's, a, what's your favorite? What's your favorite go-to passage when you're trying to explain? messianic judaism to gentiles <laughs> i've already quoted it it because because i'm trying to mitigate the disaster of bondage to law keeping 
I always quote, it is for freedom Messiah has set us free. Therefore, do not return to a yoke, which is a figurative way of saying a false teaching of bondage. Yep. That's how I describe Messianic Judaism as I understand it as a Jew, because most Jews you meet who have become followers of Yeshua will say to you the most wonderful part of all this is that having met the person of my Messiah, I am free. There is no longer obligation. I am free. That sums it up for me, man. See, see, you under well, they understand that. I mean, you grew up as a as a Jew, but in a Gentilish way. Yes. So they understand that freedom. Yes. Whereas when we look at uh, the Jewishness of our faith from a Gentile Christian point of view. Yeah, I'm already free. I, yeah. I, you know, you know I, when I look at it, I think I'm set free from sin and death. Yes. Whereas from the Jewish look, you go, I'm set free from, if I dare say it, from Torah, from having to obey the the rules of Torah. Yeah, this is how I, I I've got a song which I've been abused for by Orthodox rabbis in Jerusalem and other other parts of the world. Um, YouTube kind of erases their comments pretty quickly, you know, but the song says, I don't keep the Torah, my friend. The Torah keeps me through the blood covering. You see, there's a whole different paradigm for us. Torah is punitive law when you're obligated to it, but it's beautiful instruction when you've been set free by the one who it points to. Yeah, yeah. And, and and Yeshua is Jesus, and I can call him Jesus. You can call him Yeshua, or you could call him. And Jesus. if you're Korean, you would say Yesu. Yeah. Uh, if you were Greek, you'd say Jesus. Your Spanish. His Jesus. Name, yeah. His name is powerful in every language, not because it's a magic name, but because the darkness knows who you're talking about. Yeah. 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 When was the last time you found yourself overbalancing? You, I mean, you've been doing. You've been leading your yeshiva. Is that right? Yeshiva, the right word? Uh, we, we have a Shabbat yeshiva just because I I generally, we will present the word of God line upon line, precept upon precept. And then I'll explain um, the perspective, the Hebrew perspective, and I'll open it up to questions. So it's not really a sermon so much as an interactive dialogue yeah. over scripture. Yeah. So, so a teaching and, 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 and get together. So you've been doing this for how many years now? Uh, we're now in our seventh year. Okay, so when was the last time Yaakov Brown overbalanced with Torah, with going, uh, actually, or rabbinicalism or whatever, and going, oh, oh, hang on, I need to get back on track? It would have been before we started Beit Mele. Yeah. It would have been when I was just beginning my rabbinic studies with Benai Chaim in, in Canada. It's that long ago. Okay. Not because not because I'm not trying to be prideful. Please, yeah. don't, uh, don't mistake my certainty for pride. I'm certain because I can remember it. Um, and it was the rabbi there that refuted me and rebuked me. And it was to do with the celebration of Christmas. Okay. Do, do you want and to elucidate? I, well, at that stage, 
I had bought into the ignorant misrepresentation of the anti-Christmas movement that had become so prolific in Messianic movements. And I had bought all the false, I had never bothered to research it. I just decided that all the hearsay was true and therefore Jews shouldn't celebrate Christmas. And to my utter, well, both disgust and surprise at the time, the rabbi gently began to show me why my zeal for being so hateful of Christmas was wrong. It, it, look, this sounds like an ironic conversation. It You're does, doesn't the, it? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I'm having trouble thinking of my follow-up question. Yeah, but the, the reality was that I was so focused on what I saw as a really a set of laws, because I had made them laws, you shall not keep Christmas, yep. you shall not celebrate Christmas. I had invented my own doctrines based on hearsay without researching it, and the rabbi rebuked me. And it was ironic. And at the same time, the Holy Spirit said, and he's right. And that would be the last time that I can remember going so far in the wrong direction with law keeping that I was accusing others and demanding law from others yep. that I myself had no understanding of. And it's why I'm so fierce today in defense of Christians who want to celebrate Christmas, because I understand freedom. And I understand that we should be having a truthful conversation, not a conspiracy theory conversation. So this was more, this wasn't so much about uh, celebrating Christmas or not celebrating Christmas. This was more about Yaakov being legalistic in exactly. his hatred of Christmas. Yeah. So celebrate it or don't. Wear a kippah or don't. The point is freedom. You talked about law keeping earlier on. And as Gentiles who finally see that there's a Jewish connection, we might swing towards law keeping. Um, and the thing is, we can understand why that would happen, but we must ask what is the heart motivation? Because you and I know that we are not law keepers under obligation, but that Yeshua in us outworks his law of freedom. Yeah. And so where is the action coming from? Is it coming from Messiah in me and outward, or is it coming from me trying to earn God? And the former is righteousness and the latter is bondage. I like to point out to people that uh, when we use the, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel traveling through the wilderness after the Exodus, et cetera, uh, yeah. and, and look at the, the timing of events, because we know that Passover was a type of Jesus dying for us as the Passover lamb. Paul tells us, I think it's Paul that tells us that, or is it Hebrews that tells us that uh, the crossing through the Red Passover Sea. Lamb. Yeah, no, the, the, the Red Sea is indicative of our baptism. Yes, absolutely right. So, so we've, we've, been, we've been saved at Passover. Yes. We've been baptized. It was 50 days later that God said, here's the law. The, the law is never your means of getting out of Egypt. And to me, it's now that you are mine, similar to the Sermon on the Mount, this is how I'd like you to behave. This is the way we yeah. do things in my kingdom. Voila, tovma, od. You should preach in every church in New Zealand. The reality is that you've just taught freedom and the gentle instruction of a father. Yeah. So, yeah, we need a fence at the side of the cliff for the younger kids who don't know they shouldn't walk off the cliff. But 
the older kids who know don't need the fence, but it's there anyway for the younger kids. Yeah. That's called instruction and loving a loving father, you know, and freedom. Or, or a white line down the middle of the highway. Yeah, although in Israel, no one pays attention to that. <laughs> I noticed that. <laughs> I had fun driving around Israel. Are you going to sing a song for us? Yeah, let me play. Um, I think you and I have a wonderful uh, unity between us as a Jew and a person of another ethnicity, and we'll find out what that is, whether it's Celtic or whatever it is. But you and I are truly one because we understand each other through the freedom that Yeshua has brought us. Mm. So I'd like to play a traditional Jewish song, but I've written a contemporary melody for it, and it's called Hinei Matov. It's a psalm. It's about brothers and sisters dwelling together in the unity of God's spirit and freedom. Is this the one, uh, the, the, the video with your daughters on, on Bethel Beach? Was that, that one's called Or Hadash, and that one's from an Orthodox prayer book, believe it okay. or not. And, and an Orthodox rabbi criticized it for being Messianic, and I said, but it's in your it's prayer book. Prayer. I won't interrupt again. Oh, no. 
Thank you so much to the internet for putting that phaser on it. That was really good. <laughs> I think that, I think that's known as distortion. Yeah, is that what it is? Uh, <laughs> do you ever see any of your old uh, bandmates from back in the day? Uh, yeah, I do from time to time. Uh, Peter, the bass player, is a, a recording engineer and producer, and he did help me uh, lay some of the acoustic guitar tracks for some of the new music I'm doing, the messianic worship music, and and so on. Yep. Um, he has his own studio now in Kumiu in West Auckland. So, uh, and Barry, I don't see as often, but I do um, chat with him from time to time. Um, still, you know, very good friends, both devout followers of of Jesus, Yeshua. So. Yeah. Do you do you miss those days? I mean, you've you've been through an awful lot. I remember you were running a, a um, Christian bookshop in West Auckland for a while. Yep. Do you miss Do you miss being a, a pro musician? Uh, I don't. I don't miss it. I I, um, I like being able to be able to create, write songs. Yep. It's great to be able to record them now with modern technology, and it, it's it's great to think that some of them might now be a vehicle for bringing the gospel to our people, the Jewish people. Um, so I, you know, I I'm in the best place I've ever been with regard to music because it's been given back to me as a tool for the yeah. gospel. Whereas in the past it was a deity, and so I've never been so free. Yeah, it's interesting. I was watching a um, an interview with John Mayer. Is John Mayer the blues player? Sure. Yeah, he's a guitar. Yeah, 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 really yeah, great guitarist. Guitar yeah, yeah, guitarist. And uh, he was talking about how musicians so often um, they've lost the ability to just sing and play. Yeah, uh, they're, they're they're always performing. Yeah. what you expect me to do yes um, and, 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 and i remember yeah it's, it's so hard not doing that particularly when you're leading worship mm -hmm. and you go ah but i mean you talk about technology that that album that the song robbing this train uh comes from you recorded yeah. that in the kitchen didn't you that one was recorded in a house but it was with all the gear like they okay. had a massive um they brought in a massive desk from a studio and we we had all the professional gear, but okay, yes, right. it was recorded in a house. Well, it wasn't yeah. a Daniel Beddingfield sitting on the on the bed <laughs> laptop sort of thing. No, no. <laughs> but I mean, today you can do all that uh, digitally through um, software and computers yep. and produce 
I mean, big money produces better results, but you can produce a pretty good result. It's it's the song, it's the lyrics, it's not just the technology. You know, I, I used to say, if, particularly with worship music, if, if you can't grab an acoustic guitar and sit around the campfire singing the song, something sure. wrong. Love that. What, what 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 haven't we covered? We've got a few minutes left. What, what would you like to say to the people watching at the moment that we haven't covered? That we haven't covered? Um, I think it's, we talked a lot about the, the great divide between Gentile Christian understanding in the past and what has now become a, an understanding that the Jewish people are relevant still somehow. Yep. I think what I'd like to cover is that part of the reason it's been so important for me to identify as an ethnic religious Jewish person is that God has never forgotten the promises he made to our people that whilst we are all spiritually saved through the faith of Abraham, we are not all spiritually Yaakov. We are not all ethnically Yaakov. And God placed his name upon our people as a marker throughout history of the redemptive purposes that he has for humanity without uh, Jewish people identified ethnically in the latter days, there's no real signpost or fulfillment of those promises. So I'd like to touch on the fact that, um, and I know a lot of your listeners will agree, but I want to enforce the fact that God still has a unique, a distinct, role for the ethnic religious Jewish people in these latter days and that it's important that we who are Jews who follow Yeshua have the option about working our faith in a Jewish way so that we can remain set apart because there are 14.7 million Jews in the world uh, almost a million are followers of Yeshua that leaves 13.7 million Jews in the world who need to see those million Jewish believers that we are still Jewish. We haven't changed our ethnicity or religion. And that's my, I mean, my whole thing, my yeah. calling is to our own people that I am looking to the promise of Romans 11 that says when the fullness of the, all the other ethnicities in the world has come in, then ethnic, religious, empirical Israel as a whole, the remnant, will be saved. So I'm looking to that time when all 14.7 million or how any more, many more there are of us yep. will all come to faith through Yeshua. Yeah. That's or, what or, if we, or if we go the end times route, how many are left? Yeah. Yeah. Either way, either way the, the promise. All, all Israel. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's my dream. I used to sing a song called My Dream Is You. Jesus, and that's still true. Yep. And and through that dream, Yeshua has has given me. I used to say, "Oh, my dream is to be a rock star." And God said to me, "Dream a better dream. <laughs> dream a better dream." And you're going, "Hang on, that one's pretty good, actually." God, yeah, yeah, I thought it was, but the the better dream is is transcendent. Yeah, and and I think oh, from from my side of things, that we continue with the, with the musical uh, analogies. Um, as a Gentile, I have been invited to join in with the nation of Israel. I've been grafted in mm. alongside the promises of God, the, the new covenant, the, the writing of the laws on the hearts. They're all given to Israel. Yeah. Neil Finn was asked to join Fleetwood Mac. 
Fleetwood sure. Mac weren't asked to join Crowded House. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. So he joins with them. He's still yeah. Neil Finn. Yeah, right? that's a great way to put it. I, I used to work in a garden centre in Canada. I managed it. We had these multi-graft olive trees. The original tree would always fruit black. The grafts were different, Kalamata, the green ones, yeah. all sorts. So we had red, green, and so on. The grafted fruit would always fruit its original colour from its original tree. So you it had multicoloured fruit, fruit on the tree. Yeah. And so this is a this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, you wild guys are grafted into the black olive tree, but you'll never be black olives. Yeah. Just feeding from the same source that the black olives are feeding from. That's it. And if we unplug the source, all colours Yakov, thank you so much for your time. It's been great catching up and uh, God bless you in your ministry. Great having Yakov Brown with us on our very first uh, Know My Faith Monday podcast. Uh, keep your eye on this channel to find out who we're talking to next.